0: All right. So in my lifetime, I I would say I've seen tremendous change. I remember in 19, I think I'm guessing around 1975 was when I recall my parents getting their first microwave. And then the cell phone changed a lot of things, you know, over the years. I saw that as more as a youth pastor. But when I consider the years you have on me, I can't imagine the amount of change you've seen. What would be the, the thing that you find most humorous, maybe, in change or uh, intriguing or just like silly that you've seen change in society or around you that uh, the rest of us may not be able to appreciate as much as you, but it'll be enlightening nonetheless. I remember how excited
1: you. I was when they discovered fire.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, you mentioned the cell phone, but I remember the party line. <laughs> when you had oh, yeah. two or three others yeah. on the line with you and then it went to the single phone and now the cell phone.
2: I remember my dad going down and stoking the coal fire in the house that, was, that we lived in so that we would stay warm all night.
1: For 30 years or so I was a photographer and uh, I saw black and white wane and color wax. Then I saw 35 millimeter film come. Then I saw amazing new cameras that no one had dreamed of before, like Nikon's and Canon's, and the quality that they produced. And then digital came, and now thousands and thousands, hundreds, literally hundreds of thousands of dollars of photographic equipment you, that I had, you could use for a boat anchor.
2: Yeah.
1: And it's gone now. It's gone. You talk to talk to kids about film and cameras that shoot film, they they don't have a context to understand it. Yeah, Yeah, one of the first jobs that I had uh, when I got out of the Air Force was as an accountant um, for a large collection agency at 23 offices in 23 states. And um, I just remember the computer room was half the size of the room we're sitting in. It was enormous.
2: Uh, I think we have to remember that um, Hebrews 13.8 is, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I think that has to be foremost in our minds when we're looking at change. And I think um, we need to be spiritually solid but practically flexible with change.
1: You know, even even good change can be hard. Um, it, sometimes it's just hard to accept. Um, But one thing that I learned through the grief journey that I've had is um, if you can't control it, if there's nothing you can do about it, you can lean into it. And and when you lean into some of this change, it's like leaning into a wave. It stops it from just bowling you over and grinding you into the bottom of the ocean. Yeah, there are many voices out there. A lot of media, a lot of preachers, you know. Uh, a lot of things coming our way. Uh, we need to know the word and we need to try the spirit, test the spirit, you know. Uh.
0: So we need to know the word and we need to test the spirit because there's a lot of preachers out there and boy, the world <laughs> doesn't need them. <laughs> but, uh, well, welcome this morning. My name is Tony Hunt. I'm pastor here at LAFC. If you're new, I say welcome to you. Uh, if this has been your church and this is your church family, welcome. We're, we're back together and we're going to open the Word of God together. I'm going to ask that you would turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, that's where we're going to begin. and Then we'll eventually go to Hebrews 13. So apparently fire was discovered in the last 70 years. Didn't know that. A uh, lot, of, lot of fun things, a lot of fun moments that we shared in that interview. Again, you can uh, listen to more of that. Uh, it'll be posted online later. You'll get a fuller version of that time. Uh, a highlight for me in, in that video is when uh, Chris shared that it's like, you know, in light of change, what she's learned is that you need to be solid spiritually and practically flexible, when it comes to change. And I think that that was a nugget of wisdom there uh, to be received, as practically flexible as things change. But think about, like, all that's changed in our lifetime. Even if you're young, things have changed a lot over the last few years. Uh, you know, I, I'm i only 50 years old. And uh, in those 50 years, I've seen, you know, quite a bit of change. And And so as I was kind of thinking through some of the things I've observed, I where I got kind of sidetracked for a little bit was thinking through how much has changed on how you listen to music. So if you go back just even in the lifetime of those that are here in this room, it all began with vinyl. Vinyl records is how you listen to music, and that's how they played the music even for the radio. And, and uh, when we were talking about it, it's like, you know, vinyl is a thing of the past, but there are things that you just never forget. How many of you remember this record? Yeah? I mean, <laughs> tells me how old you might be. Um, but this is Michael W. Smith, and, and this was uh, early on in his career. You know, he was doing a lot of music, and, and the song that kind of put him on the radar, so to speak, was a song called Friends. Friends are friends forever. When the Lord's the Lord of them. And then the tears start flowing. And a friend will not say never. Anyway, I'll stop there. Every camp I went to for about 15 years ended camp with that song. And people are hugging. People are crying. And then those who are leading us start the song because it's all around a campfire. It only takes a spark. There you go. It only takes a spark to get a fire going. And, and now the spirit is really moving in those moments. Friends and sparks, you know, it's like it only can happen together. But, you know, as, as, you, as you journey through how you listen to music, you know, you had the vinyl record, which, by the way, is making a little bit of a, a comeback, but a very short lived version of listening to music was this thing. Anybody recognize that? A Eight track. 8-track. Now, what was special about 8-track was that you could actually select the song instead of listening through just as the record played. You know, you could select the song by just pushing a button. Uh, But 8-tracks were kind of clunky. It didn't take off significantly. But what came next? Oh, my goodness. This, this went a long time. And uh, so, for those of you who are younger, this is called a cassette tape. <laughs> and uh, now, this kind of lost the ability to easily get to a particular song, but you, nonetheless, it was very easy to store. I remember going to college and everybody being impressed by the fact I had this 80 uh, cassette tape rack that, you, that I had in my room. And they're like, wow all those cassettes you could listen to but uh, you'd have to get the fast forward button and the rewind button and then maybe you learned to count because there was a, a counter that maybe it was on your player and that's how you would find out where to go to songs. But then after that it went to the CD which some of us still use today and, and, and that had a good long life. The quality was amazing and again you could Go to whatever song. You could go back to the, like the a track form where it's like, yeah, you can choose this song to listen to with the CD. Then MP3 came along. Let's get rid of something that's so big. And the MP3 player took over, but it had a short stint. I mean, it didn't last very long because the smartphone came around. And the smartphone took over music as we know it's how we play you can download music you can pay to have like free downloads by and and uh, you can listen to whatever you want then at any time you can even choose your style of music and it'll search for you it's amazing what the smartphone has done but the smartphone didn't just replace the boombox the walkman or the cd player and by the way the walkman just in case you didn't know that's what you put these things into you could hook on your belt put a set of earphones on. It was the early earbud form of things. It was awesome you could go running and listen to music. Well, the the smartphone took all that away. It also took away the home phone, which, you know, pretty much now you only do so that you, you know, those you don't want to give your cell phone number, you can give that to them. And, and so it was really funny. Little League World Series is going on right now. They had a little bit of a video moment with some of the players of the, of the Little League World Series. Keep in mind they're ages 10 to 12. What they did is they handed them a phone that was a rotary dial. And they asked them, what is this? And a couple of them actually did not know. I don't know what that is. And then some of them said, well, it's a phone. But when all those who identified that it was a phone, they asked them, okay, how do you use it? And they had no clue. They're like, well, I think you do something with spinning this thing. And and they're messing around with it. I mean, that's how much change has happened. But the phone took over not just music and not just the phone itself. It's the cameras. You know, Greg on the video mentioned that the camera has changed. And now we have these high-definition cameras on our phones. The computer a lot of us don't even really need the computer at home because the phone does all the work we were using for the computer. The day timer was replaced. How many of you use the day timer in your career? I mean, that's I, I organized my life on the day timer for probably about 15 years, but now it's all on my phone. The newspaper. I finally got rid of getting the Sunday paper recently because and, and, uh, I can get all the news I want on my phone. But then the magazines no longer go there because I can get those subscriptions through my phone. But there's some unfortunate things that I think the smartphone has brought as well that's changed. Like, for instance, replacing face-to-face conversations. It was interesting, and this would have been early stages of the phone, before the smartphone was in most people's hands, when it was just a, 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 a phone that you would have to type everything in, and you didn't have emojis you could make. So everything was in code to shorten everything up. And I remember teenagers getting this, and, and I'd see two teenagers uh, sitting next to each other, messing with their phones, and I'm like, oh, so who are you guys talking to? And, and then they pointed at each other. And I'm scratching my head, it's like, why are you doing that? It's like, well, because it's faster. <laughs> so that was the beginning, and that would have been around 2008, 2009. And I'm seeing that things are shifting, things are changing, and not all of it is good. Where you lose the ability to look into a person's eye and communicate. Another unfortunate thing that has come is that the phone, the smartphone, has replaced. The adult bookstore. Now, why, now, hold on. Why would I say something like that? Because it used to take somebody being able to get in a car and go to an adult bookstore to get smut, junk, things before their eyes, pornography that's hardcore. And so for children, accessibility was very difficult. Either to found their father's stash or somebody would bring it to school. But to have access to the full adult bookstore, nobody did except for those who were over the age of 18. Now, an eight year old, a seven year old, a twelve year old, a sixteen year old gets all that a bookstore would ever offer. And it's not good. It destroys the mind and heart and it and it changes and distorts a healthy view of sexuality. Another thing that's a consequence of the smartphone is people have used the phone as a replacement for church. Well, I don't need to go to church. I, I can listen to this person's blog. I've got these different pastor's blogs I read all the time. And, and, well, what about networking? What about having Christian family? Oh, I have a group that's online. We use an app to meet. They've given up true accountability, true life on life. Think about the New Testament. It mentions so many one another's that you cannot do if you're using simply the phone to interrelate with other believers. Another thing that's been lost by the phone that's come to fruition is healthy accountability of our words. We say things in poor spirit, in bad attitude, not thinking about the consequences it might have towards another person because... You don't have to see their face. You don't see have to see how it hits. You don't have to see how it's received. These are the things that have shifted just since 2008 in the lifetime of most here in the room. Change, some of it brings better things, but often it brings things that are unhealthy. Last week, we talked about what it meant to have the word of God as something as a constant, something as a root for how to believe, how to interpret life, how to navigate life, how to know what to do in life. And it tells us who God is and how God would interact with mankind and what God would expect of mankind. And we studied from out of Psalm 119 that the psalmist there was totally impacted by the fact that throughout life, because it was kind of written as a collection, looking back in life, how the Word of God impacted them throughout life. In times of distress, in times of celebration, in times of feeling numb, they would speak to how the Word of God was the constant In fact, unlike you and I, where our existence here on this earth is fleeting, the word of the Lord, it stands forever. It stands forever. Psalm 119, verse 89, it says, the word of the Lord stands forever. And I say, I am so glad that word which existed prior to me exists while I'm walking this earth now and will exist beyond me while here on this earth. We can have something that we can trust in that is never changing and will always stand. In the book of Exodus, a unique moment happens which teaches us something that we can hold on to in the midst of incredible change and, and, and feel ourselves being strong with confidence because it's not in us, it's confident in God himself. Let me give a little context to this Exodus passage. The nation of Israel has been in Egypt for several hundred years. Initially, it was a good thing. It was under Egypt's umbrella that there was protection for Israel to grow as a nation. Initially started as provision during a famine. But as time grew on on and that nation exploded in size, Egypt became threatened by it. And so to create some level of inferiority among them, the Egyptians oppressed them severely, began to have them do all the hard labor, making things difficult. As a result, after probably a few hundred years of of joy and being there and just thriving as a nation, now they want out. Things have changed. It's not what it used to be. So they began to grumble. They began to cry out to God like, God, where are you? Why are you not hearing our cries? Why is it that we are being treated more uh, unkindly and, and brutally as time goes on? Are you still with us? Do you even care? We hear of your promises to Abraham. We hear of what you did with Isaac. But we have not seen it in our lifetime. They cry out to God. And they're looking for his deliverance. Enter Moses. Moses grew up as a prince of Egypt, but he was, himself was of Hebrew descent. And as time had gone on, growing up as in, the, in the household of Pharaoh, he had grown up uh, seeing and knowing all the things that Egypt can offer, but he was, also, he was also taught in the Hebrew way. He still had access to his biological family. And so he began to deal with a split sense of identity. Is he Hebrew or is he Egyptian? As time went on, he began to identify himself more as Hebrew. And he saw an Egyptian soldier beating a Hebrew. And Moses, in anger, went and killed that soldier. Which then caused a, fly, a flight away from Egypt because now his life was threatened Moses leaves and for the next several decades he is now alone and isolated in the desert area near Egypt but now to just serve sheep a prince now as a shepherd did not seem logical Moses is left with his own thoughts, night after night, thinking through what he had done. Thinking through the dichotomy of his life. Hebrew slave descent, but prince of Egypt. Now murderer. Now alone. That's where we pick it up in Exodus chapter 3. Verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro. His father-in-law, the priest of Midian... And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him. Within the bush. Moses. Moses. And Moses said. Here I am. Do not come any closer. God said. Take off your sandals. For the place where you are standing. Is holy ground. Then he said. I am the God of your father. The God of Abraham. The God of Isaac. And the God of Jacob. At this Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? And bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And God said, I will be with you. And this will be my sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Okay, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And then they asked me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell him? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Let me stop there. So in the context of great distress and how things have shifted, they went from being seen as a protected people group among the Egyptians to now an oppressed people group by the Egyptians. And they were not happy with how things were going, and they felt like they were abandoned by God. But they had only known living in Egypt. They had not been to the promised land. They were not a people familiar with the homeland that was promised to Abraham. So to leave and go to such a place was unthinkable, especially as they were oppressed by the Egyptians. Now, the most unlikely person is being sent. A former prince of Egypt, a murderer. And yes, a man of Hebrew descent. But somebody who had relegated himself to being a simple shepherd in the middle of nowhere. He's supposed to come and lead them out? I mean, think about Moses' mindset. I am not your man this is not going to be possible. Why would they trust me? I mean, we're talking thousands of people putting themselves into the care and coverage of him. He rightfully says, that's not going to do it. It's not going to sway the vote. So when they ask, well, what is this God you're speaking of? Who is he? That's where the strength will come. When God says... I am who I am. And when they ask, tell them, I am sent you. So the very name of God, I am, speaks to the unchanging nature and presence of God. It's the always present God, and the unchanging nature of God is existent in the very name of God. This name was seen as so reverent when it was received that I am has sent you that the Israelites didn't even dare say that name, let alone print it. And so that's why the term Yahweh, as we understand the best way to possibly say that name. And I say all that because we have very little written recognition of that because they avoided saying and writing the name Yahweh. Because they feared it so much. Think about what Jesus said in his prayer when telling people how to pray Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be his name. It was a name to be feared. They wouldn't say the name, they wouldn't write the name out of fear that they might dishonor the name. Think about the rule of law that would say, You should not. Treat the Lord God's name in such a way that it would become vain. So they would not say this name. It invoked fear immediately. So we're called as people of Israel, as they receive, to fear the name. And the name that re- describes their God, to fear him, not a mere man. They are living in a land that is ruled by the most powerful man at their time of life that was the most powerful man in all the world. And yet, and so for them to make such a journey to leave when they were being dependent upon to build all these great big things in Egypt to give honor to this man, they would be afraid to leave. There would be much at stake. So the name of God was important because it was superior to that of Pharaoh's name. I am. Fear him, not the mere man that Pharaoh is. Pharaoh will die, which is why he's building all these things, so that people won't forget him. But God existed before. God is existing now. And God will continue to exist beyond our lifetime. Fear him, not a mere man. Think about what Jesus said when talking in the book of Luke to those who are going to go out and represent him. He said, don't worry about what you will say when you're brought before the councils and the judgments of judges. Don't fear them. Fear God. Because he'll give you the words to say. But the mere man, what's the worst thing they can do to you? They can kill you. That's the worst they can do to you. But fear God, who the worst thing he can do to you is throw you into a place called hell. And experience eternal judgment. And so Jesus holds to the consistency of what they understood is that the the, the greatest thing, the most awful thing that any human being could ever do to us is take our lives. But it's not near as great as the one who decides your eternity. So we fear God, not a mere man. His name also suggests and communicates that he is always going to be with you. Unlike other leaders that come and go, God was always there before you, while you're here, and beyond you. He is always going to be with you. Again, the name of God, think about how important that's going to be. That the I am is leading the way. That as they leave Egypt and they come under the threat of the Egyptian army, they have to trust that the God that pre-existed them, the God that is existing with them now and the God that will be beyond their life later is still with them and is unchanging. So therefore, when they're up against that Red Sea, they trust in I am. They're going to fear him over the fear of the coming army. They're going to trust in him that he is always going to be with us. And what that trust is depending upon is that God's nature is always the same. I mean, think about what God said first to Moses. I am who I am. In other words, if we're speaking about him, he is who he is. He is who He is. He is not going to change. So we can trust that if God said something's going to happen, it is going to happen. It is not going to shift and change. He is who He is. Think about what's bothered us the most over the last 18 months. It's, yes, we have our political things that, that create our ire, but I think what's frustrated us the most Is the constant moving of the goalposts, the constant changing of the law, the constant narrative that is shifting all the time as to what you should or should not do. It doesn't resonate in our soul to have things shift all the time, especially when it's coming from people of authority. God is not like that, He is who He is. He is not going to change and be something different tomorrow. And He will always be with us. We should fear Him. And because He is who He is, the I Am, the great I Am, we need no one else. He is sufficient. He is the sufficient one. We need no one else. That gives me comfort. That as I go through my own journey of life, And things happen that I'm not expecting. And I can't see things very well. What do I hold on to? Well, I know that this didn't catch God by surprise. And I'm going to trust that the God I was worshiping yesterday, I can worship today even though I cannot see very clearly right now. He is who he is. I need no one else. He is always with me. He is the I am. And I am grateful that he is the one that we align our lives to. He is the template by which we, we try to become more and more like him as he empowers us to do that by the work of Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit. This is where we need to come to today's time and and leave the the narrative around Moses and that burning bush and this understanding there. Let's come to the early church. Hebrews chapter 13. We don't know who the writer of Hebrews is. We have our guesses. But the the clear reason for writing the, the book of Hebrews is that After all these years of growing up as a Hebrew and studying all the Messianic prophecies, nearly 400 of them, the writer of Hebrews is helping the Hebrew learner connect the dots as to all those Messianic prophecies to see how they align up with Jesus Christ. And so that's the entire narrative of the book of Hebrews is helping the Hebrew learner understand how Jesus is the fulfillment of that which they have studied. Now, in Hebrews chapter 13, you're getting to that place where he's about to finish this letter. And he's speaking to a couple things that are upon their hearts. They're struggling with. Because a strange thing was going on in their lifetime. Marriage was being redefined. You hear me? A strange thing was going on in their lifetime. Marriage was being redefined sexuality was being redefined. And another thing that was unusual to that that season of time, money was an issue. It became an important God to people. I don't, I feel bad for that generation. I would know nothing of those kind of pressures. So the writer of Hebrews takes these things on and, and, and as part of taking them on, He's helping them understand what we can hold on to that is not going to shift like the shifting sands of society. So let's begin in verse 1, just to get the context. A couple of interesting things in those first three verses, but where I want you to really focus in is verse 4 and beyond. It says, keep on loving one another. As brothers and sisters, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have, have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if they were together with them, as if you were together with them in prison. And those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer. And all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. So he's building it up. Like he recognizes that what's going on around them is that marriage is not being kept as an honoring institution that God has established. So he says it should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. God will judge adultery he will judge all those who commit sexual immorality so don't forget that those things are going to happen and and keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what God has given you I'm sure the reader is and the receiver of this is like don't you know how difficult it is to to honor marriage in light of what society is doing to marriage Don't you know that money's what drives our community? How is it you could say that we should just be content with what God provides and to hold to a level of sexual morality that the rest of the world would find as strange? So here's what is given in comfort by the writer of Hebrews. And be content with what you have because... God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the writer says, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider their outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the yesterday, today, and forever. Take notice, every translation uses the same pattern. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Because there's no other way to say it in English. So why change it by translative work? It is what it says. Jesus will not change. He is what he was yesterday. He is what he is today. He will be what he is tomorrow. That's the comfort we receive. The writer of Hebrews has given us comfort to receive this, that when we feel like the whole world surrounds itself with the pursuit of money, how is it that I'm supposed to just be content? The whole world is changing marriage and how we should look at that. So why should, how am I going to stand strongly when the world says marriage is defined differently based on your own whims? And sexuality certainly is always defined in the eyes of the beholder in our society. To say there's a constant is seen as hate, Or disgusting by the rest of the world. How can I find comfort in that. Mr. prophet. Mr. leader that's writing this to me. Find comfort in this. God will never leave you. God will never forsake you. He will help you. In times of trouble. You do not need to be afraid. And what can a mere mortal do to you. Interesting. Exodus, what the meaning of God's name brings to people, that we should fear God, not a mere man, is restated here by the writer of Hebrews as as an encouragement to the Hebrew learner that what can a mere mortal do to you? Kill you, yes. But that's where it ends. God's hand pre-existed your life. While you're in life, you are in God's hand. When you die, you are still in God's hand. Do you understand the power that that is? Where he says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. He is my helper. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid because a mere mortal cannot do anything more than kill me. But God stands before them, over them, And after them. So I'm not going to be abandoned. I will be helped by God. I will not have to live by fear of others. And then when it says in verse 7. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life. And imitate their faith. Again when you're struggling with clarity. We remember. Remember. We hold on to things that have taught us. I remember my Sunday school teachers. I remember those who disciple me as a teenager. I remember what my parents taught me, all the scriptures that they instilled in my life. And I will acknowledge that, yes, my father, you know, he's been a pastor for a lot of years, but I learned even more scripture from my mom because she was the one that had to discipline me. We have a special relationship. Going away with a, for a couple of days with my parents this week, you can be in prayer. <laughs> but I tell you, I look at their life, and I look at my mentors' lives, and I look at the Sunday school teachers' lives, and I say, you know what? When they lived by the Word of God, their lives were strong and something to emulate. I had a couple mentors in my life that have totally rejected. The whole aspect of teaching of Scripture and rejected Jesus as Lord and Savior. And I can tell you, their lives have fallen apart. And so I still hold this verse to be true. Remember your leaders who spoke the Word of God to you, consider the outcome of their way of life, and imitate their faith. Even from those who have failed in my life, I've learned that when they turn their back on God and they quit letting God be their account, their lives went wild and astray. But I look at those who have held to God's word being the foundation of their lives and I see life beautiful, life secure, life worth emulating and following. Because they've discovered this, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And verse 9 will conclude this, When it says, do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. To which I say, if somebody's teaching from the word of God and it sounds strange, I'm confident that I can say this, it is changed teaching. If you hear strange teaching coming from the word of God, it is changed teaching. 1 Peter 1 says this, For you have been born again, not of a perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field, but the grass withers and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord, it endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you today. Let's pray. So Father God, we receive from you as the timeless one, the great I am that gives me comfort that when everything around me is shifting, I know that you will never leave us or forsake us, because you're the great I am. You'll be our helper in times of trouble because your promises are always true. Because your name says, you are the great I am. I don't have to fear that which is around me that might even seem powerful. But it's not near as powerful as the great I am. And I don't have to fear coming before you someday when this life is over. Because the great I am sent his son Jesus to die for me. And by faith I've received that. And I can be confident that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we cling to you when everything is shifting around us. We cling to you and we'll know that our ankles are indeed on the bedrock of life, the strength of life, the anchor to life, that regardless of storm, we can be confident that you will help us. Your promises are good and your mercies are new every morning. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
2: Would you stand and join us? We're going to testify to the goodness of God and his unchanging nature, to the assurance that we have in that.
0: takes on a different meaning after you read scripture like we read today, right? How firm a foundation we have in Jesus Christ. For those of us who have known Jesus and had our faith in him for maybe years or decades, we know we can look back and remember it's like the constancy of who Christ is has sustained us through great things. For those of you who are younger, you're learning that, you're receiving that even in real time right now throughout this time, you're going to find the best constant is the great I am. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, who came as the living sacrifice to pay the penalty of our sin, so that the God, the God that has the power to throw, in us, throw us into hell has then now provided the means by which we can find life eternal in heaven with him. He did so through his son Jesus. Jesus. We would love to introduce him to you. Uh, You can talk to any of us that are here that are wearing lanyards, or you can come up and talk to me. I'd be glad to do so. We'll have people in the encounter room that would be glad to pray with anybody uh, over a burden that might be going on in your life at this time. All I want, and I've been praying for, for this congregation today, is that we'll walk out, not quivering in the knees, but walking with strength because we have an unchanging God who has given us his word that is going to be true tomorrow as much as it was true today and true yesterday. In that spirit, I say go in the confidence that we have a God who will never leave us nor forsake us. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.